What are we about to do? We are headed to Ocean Shores to release Finn, one of our very first patients. Yay! Yay, Finn! <laughs> Finn is a harbor seal pup born sometime in May. He was left on a beach to rest, and most likely because of human disturbance, his mom never came back to get him. When it was clear he needed help to survive, we got the call and he came to a marine wildlife hospital in Washington state. He spent two months recovering, learning how to eat on his own, and making his way closer to adulthood. On July 18th, we returned him to the ocean. Hi, I'm Kate Harubi, and this is Go Forth in Science podcast, where we combine adventure and science into a tale that will hopefully make the next time you step outside even better. I was lucky enough to get a job with SR3, aka Sea Life Response Rehabilitation and Research, this summer. We're an organization that does whale research and a hospital that can take care of seals, sea otters, sea lions, and even a harbor porpoise or turtles. Our vets and vet techs are trained in caring for sea life, and our facility is set up to house smaller animals while they are recovering, or in the case of seal pups, figuring out how to eat fish. So far this summer, I've tagged along on the releases of 14 harbor seal pups, which has been awesome. But I have a long way to go before I catch up to the realms of experience that Casey McLean, the executive director of SR3, has when it comes to sending rehabilitated wildlife back home. I am Casey McLean, the executive director and veterinary nurse for SR3, which is Sea Life Response, Rehab, and Research. And basically, I run a marine animal hospital. How long have you been working in wildlife rehab? A long time. So I started back when I was in college, dabbling in the wildlife field and also with veterinary medicine with cats and dogs. And that was back in 2002. So not to date myself, but quite a long time now I've been working with not only just wildlife, but also um, in the veterinary medicine field. What made you want to switch from cats and dogs to things like harbor seals? I've actually always been in the marine world. That's what I went to school for. So I actually started out on the research side of things. And when I got a part-time job, just needing some income as a college student working with cats and dogs on the veterinary medicine side, that's when I fell in love with medicine and realized I wanted to combine my love for marine wildlife with my new love for veterinary medicine. What animals have you worked with across your career? Lots. (laughs) As far as in the marine field, everything from sea turtles to seals and sea lions, manatees, dolphins, doing research on humpback whales and larger baleen whales. Of course, uh, it's been a rare opportunity to be in rehabilitation with them, but I actually did do rehab on a sperm whale when I was in Florida. So that was a very unique opportunity that does not happen very often, fortunately. Uh, Those animals are quite large, so that's not usually a good outcome for them. So yeah, I've had the opportunity to work with all kinds of different marine wildlife. I've also worked with cats and dogs, as we said, but um, bunnies and squirrels and deer and possums. Those are one of my favorite land animals. (laughs) I was just going to ask if the sperm whale was your favorite, but possums Uh, are cool too. (laughs) I mean, the sperm whale was pretty darn cool, of course, but it's always a little bit of a sad situation too, because typically when dolphins and whales watch up on the beach, they're in really bad shape. Yeah. Did the sperm whale make it? It did not. It was a very young, it was actually a calf about 14 feet long. And even if it had made it, we didn't know what we were going to do with it because those animals need their mothers to teach them how to dive 
And so there's a lot we couldn't have done for that animal, but it was an opportunity to learn maybe why he had washed up on the beach and more about these animals that we so rarely see. Sperm whales dive thousands of feet to get to their food, squid, and can hold their breath for 90 minutes. That's not exactly something that a human can help teach. And while stories like this are unfortunate, there are species out there that we only know exist because they've washed up on shore, like some beaked whales. Beaked whales generally spend their time offshore in deep water, as they're some of the deepest diving whales, and so they're rarely spotted by humans. There's a species called the ginkgo-toothed whale, named because its teeth look like ginkgo leaves, and we only know that it exists because of the few whales that have washed ashore. It's never been seen in the wild. SR3 is able to help animals outside of our facility as well, and we do that both through responding, whether they are entangled and on the beach, entangled and in the water, and also doing scientific research that helps influence conservation policies and actually direct management actions to protect even more of these animals. So entanglement, we deal with seals and sea lions that are entangled and also large whales. It's two very different methods of dealing with that, but we do have a specialist that can handle both of those situations. And then Dr. Holly Fernbach is our marine mammal research director and spends a lot of time doing health assessments and behavior monitoring using drones. I love to hear her tell the story about how, I think she started the photogrammetry work back in 2008, but they used a helicopter. And so they would hang out the sides of the helicopter or a small plane, and they'd hang out the sides of that to get the images. And it's just like, wow, how far we've come and how far less dangerous it is to use the drones and just how much better images we're getting and how much more information they can see and gather. And for all you folks at home who have drones and want to go take pictures of whales, know that it's a practice strictly permitted by the federal government. Many whales have populations that are struggling right now, so it's best that we stay far away from them and enjoy watching them from shore. So why do we need wildlife care centers? Well, I think long, long ago, back in the day where there wasn't as much human impact on the world um, and on our marine wildlife, maybe it wasn't as needed, but as our human population grows and the things that are happening to the ocean just because of how humans live on this planet, it's our responsibility to take care of those. These animals are suffering from entanglements in our trash. They're suffering from toxins in their body due to what we're putting in the water. So we have some responsibility to be able to help these animals when they need it. It's also a way for us to understand how are we impacting the environment? I think if these animals weren't being affected, we might not actually even know how we're impacting it. So studying this is really important. And this day and age, things are rapidly changing so much so that scientists and rehabilitators have a hard time keeping up with what is the biggest problem and how do we address it. So continuing to help these animals is just critical to our understanding. It prepares us for crisis too. You know, you can't just suddenly open up a hospital when an oil spill happens or some tragic floods or, or a disease outbreak. You have to have that already up and going so that you can help when these unfortunate events inevitably happen. Yeah. Have you worked on oil spills before? I have. I worked on AP Horizon down in Florida when that happened. That's the only one I've ever worked on. And I was working mainly with sea turtles at that point. It was a very, I had actually left Florida and was called back to help with it. So it was a pretty short stint that I worked on it, which I'm grateful for because that was extremely taxing, not only physically, but also emotionally. Go big or go home. (laughs) Yes. I was like, okay, I'm not sure I want to do that again, but of course I would. In 2010, the Deepwater Horizon oil drilling rig exploded in the Gulf of Mexico, leaving the well damaged and leaking oil for months. 
over 150 million gallons of oil spilled into the ocean. It's the largest oil spill in history. So you started out your work on the East Coast. What motivated you to come to Washington and start SR3? Yeah, so those are actually two different questions because I came to Washington just because I had lived in Alaska for a little while and I loved it, but I felt a little too far away from family and a little too remote. So I wanted to be on the West Coast, but maybe not quite as far as Alaska. And so that's really, I just wanted to be out here and experience it. And as a college student, I had read about in papers and all about the Center for Whale Research and all the incredible animals out here. And so I just really wanted to experience that. So that's what motivated me to come out. As far as SR3 starting that, it was really because I was shocked at the lack of resources for these animals when they needed help. I had maybe some young (laughs) bubble vision of everything was perfect out on the West Coast (laughs) and didn't realize that these animals weren't getting help when they needed it just because there wasn't a facility able to do that. So that's really kind of what inspired that was, okay, how can we, we fix this? I will be the first one to admit that I didn't really want to be the one to fix it. I just wanted someone to fix it (laughs) and I can help. (laughs) But fortunately, through colleagues and so many people that have come along on this journey, it's not just me. I I may have started the, the paperwork and gotten the ball rolling, but it's taken a village to build this facility you do a lot, uh, for sure. (laughs) Like at least four people's worth of work, I would say. Uh, but it, yeah, it definitely takes even more people than the four people's worth of work that you do (laughs) to to create. And tons of volunteers. I mean, the volunteer outpouring from the day I started this thing has been incredible and continues to be that way. I'm always super grateful and always just very impressed by how many people want to give of their time and their knowledge to help these animals. What is your favorite part of this job? My favorite part is release day. It's the fruition of all of your hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, watching it run down the beach and back into the water. We're being uh, launched off the side of the boat back into the water. (laughs) That's really the reason that I do this, is to watch them come in, these sick, injured, super thin animals, And be able to help them get better and help them be healthy and go back out to the population where they're supposed to be. We've released a lot of seals so far this summer. Do you have a favorite Mm -hmm. release from the past few months? Yeah, you know, a lot of them have had different special parts for different reasons. But I think the one that's probably the most dear to me is Rainier, who was our first from intake to release, our first full patient to go through the whole rehabilitation process at the facility. And so he just felt kind of special. It's been 11 years of working on this to be able to get to this point. So it's pretty exciting. Have you even had a chance to process the fact that finally the hospital is around? (laughs) Not really. I think I did a bit of processing that day. That was a a private release. It was just me and you and a friend of ours, a volunteer. So that felt like, okay, I can actually take it all in and experience it. The hospital has been busier than we ever expected. Yeah. I mean, compared to the work that you'd been doing leading up to the hospital opening and now this summer at the hospital, how many seals were you expecting to get? (laughs) Well, there seemed to be maybe a little bit of hesitation among, you know, anytime there's something new, it's kind of like, well, what are we, do we really need this? And how's it going to work? And what's going to be the outcome? So I wasn't sure. I mean, I expected maybe a handful of seals, but we've had 40 to date. (laughs) We got another one? Yes. Gosh. (laughs) I'm 
another one came in. We put four out, one came in. <laughs> it's proven the need. It's there. This is something that is needed in our region. So we're more than happy to be here and doing that. It's just next year. You never quite know your first year. Well, now we know. So next year we will be even more prepared and able to take on more volunteers and more seasonal staff and give people more opportunity to help with this sort of hands-on conservation work. Yeah. And right now we've been getting mostly harbor seals because it's been pupping season. Mm -hmm. What other marine wildlife are we able to have at the facility if, if something happens to one of them? The facility can handle anything from small harbor seals all the way up to adult sea lions and sea turtles, sea otters, and small, even a small porpoise if we need it to. So really we built this with the idea that it could be flexible and meet the needs of whatever animal may actually show up on the beach. So we'll see what comes in over the winter. Winter tends to be more Guadalupe fur seals or northern fur seals. Sea turtle, cold stunning season is coming. We do have sea turtles off the coast of Washington, so we might see some of those. Adult sea lions tend to be in the area more in the winter and spring, so who knows what may need help. Thank goodness at this point, we haven't gotten any of those animals with all 40 of our (laughs) harbor seals that have come through also. Yes, it is kind of nice that they go seasonally so we can help as many as we possibly can. So we're not a huge facility. So, you know, one or two sea lions would definitely take up a whole pool. And then that wouldn't be usable for a sea turtle or sea otter. So it's good they kind of space themselves out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Thanks, nature. (laughs) Yes, could just help us out with that. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Aside from Rainier's release, are there any <laughs> memories from the summer that stand out in your mind? You know, we did a unique procedure for a couple of our patients that were having trouble with their eyes. And we put in a something called a subpalpebral lavage catheter, which is something they do in horses, but not something that has really been done very much in seals or sea lions. And so That was kind of a unique procedure that our veterinarian did, and we worked with ophthalmologists and outside specialists to be able to get some of that accomplished, and it worked. So that was really exciting. And then I think just working with all of our different interns and seasonal staff has been a lot of fun. It's brought together a great group of people that have a similar mission that they're on to help these animals. And so it's just been, there's been times we've laughed, times we've cried, maybe sometimes we've screamed. But we've all made it through the season together and it's, they've been a lot of fun. The side of a good job when you, all of the emotions. (laughs) All of the emotions. Has anything changed over the years that you've been doing this work? A lot has changed over the years, but I think the the biggest thing that I have noticed, and it's hard to judge because I started when I was relatively young and now as an older adult, it's hard to know, have I changed? I'm not sure, but for sure I've seen more and more people care and understand that these animals are telling us something about the ocean health and we need to be listening because the ocean's health is tied to human health. If it's affecting them, it's eventually going to affect us, our livelihoods as well. So we have to really be paying attention to that. That's the biggest thing I've seen change. And that's the biggest thing about running a marine animal hospital. Yes, these animals are cute. Yes, they deserve a second chance at life, but it's really an opportunity to educate people and inspire them to do something in their everyday lives because that's where the difference is made. You can't rescue enough animals to actually fix the problem. Yeah, it's a combination of needing to fix the problem at the source, but also keep up with the destruction that we're already causing. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think it can be hard sometimes to get people maybe to care about a salmon or to care about a sea star. But if I can get them to care about a fuzzy seal with big eyeballs, the changes that they're going to make in their everyday life are going to help everything else in the ocean as well. Just plot B in front of them and I'll make them care about sea stars. (laughs) I do think they should, but I'm just saying sometimes these charismatic megafauna can be a little easier to connect with and inspire folks to make those changes. If I am a lover of wildlife, well, I am a lover of wildlife, (laughs) but how should I interact with, say, like a seal that I see resting on a beach or a whale swimming around in the ocean? I think the most important thing to remember for things on the beach is lots and lots of space. We have to remember to share the shore. So taking a minute to observe from a distance and see if there is anything that's concerning. And if there is, by all means, call the Stranding Network hotline so that someone can come out and assess that animal. And a lot of times they're just looking for a place to rest. So keeping yourself and your dogs as far away as possible, which is far enough to where you almost can't see the animal. So I know that's very challenging because we all want to see them. Now, if it's something like a sea turtle or obviously a porpoise or something that should be in the water all the time, then that is an emergency situation and you should call right away. The Stranding Network hotline is 1-866-767-6114. So if you see an injured animal, you can call that number. But like Casey said, a lot of the time seals and sea lions just rest on the beach to make up for an active lifestyle in cold water. Elephant seals can snooze on beaches for a long time without moving, and many people have been fooled into thinking that they're dead when really they're just getting some needed beauty rest. Binoculars are a wildlife lover's best friend. Yes, binoculars are your best friend. And as far as being out on the boat, going slow. If you're on a boat, driving slowly means you have more time to spot marine mammals if they are near and allows you to keep your distance from them. Going slow also cuts down on the noise coming from your boat, which can disturb wildlife. And just to plug this podcast a little more, if you're a new listener, you can learn more about whales and boat noise back in episode three, The Orca Pod. Cool. Thanks for thinking of me. Every way we can get the message out is good. You can find SR3 on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook if you want to see cute photos and videos of the seals we rescue and release, or if you want to learn more about the whales in the Pacific Northwest, marine mammal entanglement, or the incredible ecosystem of the Salish Sea. It's Sea Life R3 on Instagram and Facebook, and SR3 Sea Life on Twitter. And now for the episode recap. Because humans have such a large footprint on the world, it's necessary that we have facilities and organizations around to help the marine wildlife that we impact. Whether that's whales entangled in fishing gear or harbor seal pups whose moms were scared off by people and dogs, it's imperative that we try to fix the problems we cause. Casey fell in love with marine wildlife and veterinary medicine and knew that that was how she could help. She's worked all over the country and eventually settled down in Washington state to promote whale research and open a sea life hospital. She's been working toward this goal for a decade now, and this spring, the hospital finally opened. So far, we've had 40 harbor seal patients, from Finn and Rainier, two of the first seals to come to the facility, to Frank and Harvey and their eye surgeries that were a new practice for seals. Work like this is a positive feedback loop. We can do the work we do because people care, and the more people that are out there caring, learning, educating, and reporting means the more opportunities we have to save the animals we're affecting. But of course, it's a two-part problem, and we need to stem it at its source while we also try to keep up with the repercussions. So make sure to stay away from marine mammals on beaches and in the water, and find ways to love these creatures from a distance. Binoculars are a wildlife watcher's best friend.
And if you do see injured marine wildlife, give the Stranding Network a call at 1-866-767-6114 so they can get more info about the animal and figure out the proper response. All of SR3's work is done under NOAA permit number 18786, and Holly's whale research is done under NOAA permit number 19091. You can visit sr3.org if you want to learn more about the hospital. Thanks to everyone who helps protect the marine wildlife out there, and thanks to you for listening.